Hey everyone, uh, my name is Asha Evans. I am honored to be speaking with all of you today. Ryan, thank you for that message. Thank you kids for participating. Basically, that's my sermon. So you heard it there. We are making love concrete. We are making a plan for love. Um, if you get anything from today, take away what has already been shared with the kids and by the kids. Um, my name is Asha. I look out, I see a lot of uh, faces that I don't know, and I'm so happy to be here. Um, together with my husband Rob and three daughters, I have been happy to call New Haven home for the past 15 years. And one of the most significant factors for us in being at home in this city, uh, transplanted as we were from California by way of lots of other places, um, but one of the most significant factors was, um, was being in community here at ECV. From the beginning, when we kind of sensed a call from God to move out here, we knew that life together with others um, in our specific journey here in New Haven, but also just generally in following Jesus, would be essential. We needed the life in the body. Um, and that's why it's been such a gift these past uh, many weeks that we have been reflecting on what it means to have and experience life together in the body of Christ. Um, to look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians and consider how we might grow together as a body, where God is already at work in us as a body, um, and to be transformed. I also want to, since um, they've given me the mic, I just want to say, take this time to say thank you. A year ago at this time, many of you, if you were here a year ago, um, were sending me off from my role as, in fa as family pastor here into nursing school. And I just want to praise God <laughs> for that blessing and that sending and say thank you for your prayers um, because I finished. <laughs> and um, so I did it. Actually, we all did it. Um, we'll use that collective we that is so much a part of the First Corinthians letter. Um, we all did it, and so thank you, thank you, thank you for the ways that um, your support and your love, and especially the support and love of my daughters and husband has carried me through this year. Um, there are lots of praise reports and testimonies that I could share from this past year, and but I will not do that right now. Um, I would like to just start by praying for us um, and for the things that God is up to today. He's already up to so much, and would the things that he's up to just stick with us. Good Father, thank you for being a generous God to us. Thank, for, thank you for your faithful provision, your leadership, your generosity. Lord, as we um, sit here today under your sky, under these trees, experiencing this breeze, um, Lord, would we know your goodness? Would we experience the movement of your spirit? Would you do the things that are pleasing to you today? And we, may we um, just be moldable in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So I do have a little bit still of like nursing school brain, so I apologize if this feels <laughs> a little scattered and I will try not to bring too much nursing school into this. Um, but this is the last talk in our series. Um, as we're in the final chapter. That sounds like 
fireworks coming out of that car. All right, so this is the last chapter in 1 Corinthians, and I want to just start. We have covered a lot this summer, um, so I'm going to recap just some of the things that we have been through because it's it's been a lot, and I actually encourage all of us um, to just go back maybe sometime this week and just read through 1 Corinthians as a letter. There's just so much in there, and as I was reflecting on some of the talks in this series, I was like, wow, there's just so much more here, too, that we could uh, really receive from. So um, we talked about, like I mentioned, this collective nature of the letter um, to the Corinthians that Paul is writing, how he's using that, like the you plural and the we, and that is really how we ought to be thinking about our lives of faith is in this collective way. Uh, we talked about unity and difference, what it means to be united together while at the same time experience difference. Um, uh, understand and know and receive those differences, honor those differences like a body with many parts. Um, we talked about what it means to do this even when we've experienced hurt in the church, even when the church or the body has not seemed like a good and life-giving place for us. We talked about being wronged and laying down our rights. We talked about communion, the Lord's Supper, this mysterious meal, and God meeting us in our hunger. We talked about freedom and love and what it means in our freedom to love one another and how we are free to love. Paul outlines spiritual gifts and their uses and purposes, how the body is built up together. Last week, Josh shared about the power of resurrection giving life to us in personal and communal ways. And I hope, just like the Corinthians, that we have been comforted and challenged encouraged and maybe perplexed sometimes too by the words of Paul, inspired, I hope, by God's work among us as we ask him to make us more um, his body. So today's passage is chapter 16, and as Ryan already alluded to, this is all about making it material. Um, and a lot of Corinthians is really getting down to the nitty-gritty. Paul is not one often to kind of keep it up here in the ethereal, but he really gets down to some very practical matters, and especially in this chapter. So I'm just going to read the passage. You can follow along if you have a Bible or on your phone app. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. 
Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors in it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we're going to start with the first part of this chapter, and this is really about that offering, that collection that Ryan was talking about earlier as well. Um, it's about this gift to the church in Jerusalem. And just to kind of recap, well, not recap, but just to give you a little foundation when it comes to giving in the Bible, there are some good principles that we ought to know when we think about giving. One is that we, we see this in both the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament and in the letters um, and the accounts in the New Testament, that giving is to be done freely, right? Giving is to be done freely. God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is to be done joyfully. There's no coercion in giving. Um, this is maybe part of the reason, in addition to having a plan, which I love, it could be Paul didn't, he wanted them to, to do this before he even got there. There would be no sense of him manipulating or trying to pull anyone's leg to give this offering. This was something that folks were going to be doing regularly before he even arrived. There was intentionality in this giving. There was planning in this giving. There was forethought. Um, and it was given freely. As the kids um, say in Sprouts also, we give because God has given to us. That's another sort of foundational principle that we can find um, when it comes to why we give. Now things have already been getting real in this letter in Corinthians, but I think it's important to note that these final exhortations that Paul gives to the Corinthians are about these concrete material things, money being among the most concrete things um, that we could think of. Think of. Belonging to one another, being part of a body together, also means considering what God would have us do with material belongings. In fact, our physical material belongings can be used even to create a sense of belonging with one another. Paul likely knew that the investment of these things, this generous giving to the believers in Jerusalem, would further unite these communities. One part was hurting and in need, and that couldn't be ignored. Life in the body means not only seeing our one, our one part and our own needs, but it means seeing the needs of others, just like we would see if another body part were hurting. 
I'm sure lots of us have had the experience of um, like our hearts being moved towards something and so then we invest in that. We give, right, to a cause. Something that we really care about. We look around this world and there are so many worthy causes. There is so much need. Um, we can follow our heart's passions and interests and invest our resources there. But there's something else that we can do too and that is that we can intentionally direct our loves with our giving. Um, and what I mean by that is if we know, for example, um, that God cares about the kids in the city of New Haven, that God cares about um, teachers being resourced to have uh, what they need to teach and to love and to bless kids here. Um, but I don't have any particular connection, maybe, to kids in New Haven. Um, I can think of a way to forge a connection with kids in New Haven. Send your money there. Send your investment there. Give generously. This is the way we can actually direct our hearts and direct our loves. Do you want to care more about justice in our city? Donate to the Connecticut Bail Fund. Do you know that supporting refugees and new immigrants is part of the heart of God? Send your gift to Iris, Elena's Light, or Sanctuary Kitchen. Are you eager for your life to reflect a commitment um, and love for the local church? Give your offering here at ECV and watch your heart follow. Our hearts don't need to go first. Um, and if giving here at ECV, we take an offering every week and part of that goes to supporting classrooms, it goes to supporting organizations in our city, it goes to um, the work, of course, that our staff do here, and it goes to even the larger vineyard movement and churches all throughout the country and world. Send your money and watch your heart follow. Could it have been that the Corinthian church's love for the Jerusalem church would grow following their gift to them? I like to imagine that... Um, Right, this money is not getting transferred. Like, we, they didn't have Venmo, so it wasn't an instant transfer um, that they would have to do. This money was going to have to be physically carried on the road between Corinth and Jerusalem. It was going to go on a journey. Now, I, in, my, in my mind's eye, I am imagining, okay, if love is something that motivates the Corinthian church, then love is going before this gift, right? It's going before it, and then the gift is following. But then love is also taking up the rear, and those Corinthians' hearts are following that gift along the road with those messengers. How much would the church in Jerusalem receive love after having received this gift, and how much would the love for the Jerusalem churches grow among the Corinthians following this investment, perhaps even a costly one? In this passage, Paul really emphasizes giving, right? He's, setting a, he's telling them to set aside this collection. But chances are in the body of Christ, and we can see it here, right? If this letter were written to the church in Jerusalem, he might be saying, receive this gift with gratitude. Receive this gift with thankfulness. We will be on both the giving and the receiving ends, right, in our lives in the body of Christ. I asked my kids um, as I was preparing this message like to think of a time. Um, I said part of the passage is about giving and about generous giving. Can you think of an example of that in our lives? And my eldest said, oh, yeah, that time when, we, when just money showed up. 
and I immediately knew what she was talking about. For those who don't know a little bit of our story, my husband is a cancer survivor, and he was diagnosed right after our youngest daughter was born. She was just a baby, and we had a five-year-old and a four-year-old. And we, he had to go through treatment. It was extensive, lots of you know, chemo, radiation, surgeries, all the whole nine yards. And it was financially costly for us. It was a hard season. And I remember th this didn't last for very long, but there were probably, it was a good month when I would open our door and we had a little vestibule, you know, so you open one door and then there's the next vestibule and then the mail slot, all the mail and envelopes have come in through the little slot. So they're just laying in a pile there on the floor. And I would open that door and look down at the floor and there'd be envelopes that were just marked Rob and Asha or Evan's family, no return address, and often not even postmarked, so they had been hand-delivered and slipped through the door, and I would open them up, and they were just full of cash. And to this day, we don't know who they were from. They just came to us. And I will look back on that time, if folks ask me, um, I will look back on that time and I will tell you it was a hard time, it was a painful time, it was a really difficult time for our family. But I'll also look back on that time and tell you that it was probably one of the times in my life when I have felt the most loved and connected to a community. I, honestly, I wasn't even sure who that community was. But I received it as love from God through people. We'll be on both the giving end and the receiving end. And that is, both, that is what it means to be in the body of Christ. I remember praying then, Lord, um, please let me give as generously as I have received right now in this moment. Like, let my life um, be marked by the kind of giving, by the kind of generosity that I am on the receiving end of right now. And I don't know if that prayer will ever be answered because there, right? It's not just money that comes to us that shows us the generosity of God, right? That might be among the least of the ways <laughs> we experience the generosity of God. I had a nursing professor in school this past year. She was a pediatrics professor, and she was really trying to hammer into us um, how important it is for infants in their first year of life to be cared for by the grown-ups around them. How important like that bonding is, how important that nurturing is, all of that. And she looked at us and she was almost kind of yelling at us. <laughs> she was a very intense person. She said, each one of you right now, right here, you are here because someone picked you up when you were a baby. <laughs> and we were like, okay, I guess that's true. <laughs> Right? We're pretty helpless when we're babies. We're not mammals that can just get up and start foraging or animals that can just get up and start foraging. We absolutely would die if no one had picked us up and cared for us. Absolutely. I did not earn that. I did not deserve that. There was nothing I did that merited that. That was just generosity. That was just a gift to me. That is just life that is a gift to me. Um, everything is a gift from God. And I think that's another important um, principle that we need to know when we think about giving. Life is, has been a gift to us. So I have questions for us as we consider that. Where are we? Where are you? Where am I? Tempted to believe that these material belongings that we have, including money, 
um, are, are really yours to keep and that you've earned them. Right? And I'm not saying we don't, we don't earn things. We do. We work hard in seasons of our lives, and that sometimes is compensated with material goods, with money, with finances. There are times we work hard, and it isn't. Um, but there's a real temptation to think, well, this is mine. And the truth is that this is all gift from God. And I think there's, an, there's more questions we can ask ourselves. We could say today, where is love springing up in us, right? Motivating us to give. I want to give. I love the kids in New Haven, and I want to give to them. Or maybe where would you just like your heart to follow? Where would you love? Your, where, would, where do you want to see your loves go? We can make those choices today, too. What would it look at this one I hate this question I hate answering this question what would a look at my bank statement reveal about my loves what would I want it to reveal you know when we when I was on staff here at ECV we would take the budgeting process really seriously because we knew that the budget was a reflection of our values right and so if we said, we could say, we can say all the great things. We can say how committed we are to this and that. We can say how much we value the city of New Haven or how much we value families and kids and youth at our church or, um, or so many other things. But then if we look at where our resources are going, really that tells the tale. Right? That really tells the truth about where we're investing. And so we would like prayer, prayerfully think over our budget. How, okay, we say this, but is that really reflected in where the budget is, where this money is going? That's so important, right? And sometimes we would say, like, we don't even know exactly what this money is going to be spent on, but we're going to set it aside anyway. We're going to make a plan to give that money away. And so we would have a line in the budget that just said, blessing our city. And there were certain parts of that that we knew would go to certain activities in the city, but there was some part of that that would just be like, when we see an opportunity to give that would bless the city of New Haven, that's where that money is coming from, and we better give it all away. Right, And so then the budget process, and I'm so thankful to the folks on the board and, uh, who, who poured so much time into that, that budgeting process became this real act of like, discipleship for us. Because <laughs> right? it was about what really mattered. And we could direct the loves of our church too. Right, We could direct the loves of this body in a certain way. Right now, what could we open our hands to today, even to make a plan to give, to make a plan to love? Um, this is not necessarily like a whole sermon on giving. There's more we're going to get to in this passage. Um, but I also just want to say, like I mentioned earlier, giving generously is an important way that we proclaim our faith. We're taking after our Heavenly Father who is so generous, and this becomes us as God's children. We give in response to a generous God. 
Um, and that could be our gifts, our giving up and over of material goods. This is a proclamation of what we believe, that there is a generous provider God. And it's even really a proclamation of a belief in abundance. And you guys, that is a radical, radical thing to do in a world that proclaims that scarcity and a zero-sum game is all there is. Right? When we say, no, actually, we believe in an abundant God and a God who provides abundantly and that there's more than enough to go around, that's radical. And this is a pillar of the beloved community, the church, who knows themselves beloved by God and who practices this belovedness among one another. Um, we, can, we could go through more examples. If you look in the book of Acts and you look at the, um, the story of the early church and how they were generous proclaimers of the gospel, they were generous givers to one another and sharers in all they had. Um, I love looking at that, that kind of material giving, that love made so concrete, so real, um, is such an important part of who we are as a people and who we are as children of God. So that is part of life in the, God, in the body, right, is giving and giving generously. Then next in this passage, we see the importance of physical presence. So let me just read this part and just I will highlight um, some of the words that are really key here. After I go through Macedonia, this starts in verse 5, I will come to you for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, but a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it he has nothing to fear while he's with you. No one should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. About Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you. He was unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. This is a lot of visiting, right? <laughs> this is a lot of coming and going and staying with and sending out and receiving in. And this really seems to be a hallmark of life in the body as well. There is more than just a theoretical or spiritual even togetherness or sense of belonging, but a real physical togetherness, a real um, like a being proximate to one another that matters for the life of the church. Paul could only have written letters, right? That was a possibility. He could have conducted, and he wrote a lot of letters, he could have conducted his ministry of encouraging and building up and instructing the church through his writing, but also instead he made the effort to get close, to actually go. And I want us to think that travel back then was not just as easy as hopping in a car and getting on the highway, right? This was dangerous. This took time. This would probably wear you down. It might result in injuries, right? It was, it was not a small thing to say, I'm coming to you. This was a big deal. And he facilitated the visits of other people, making sure they would connect with one another. He entered homes. He entered towns. Why not just stay home on your couch, Paul? <laughs> Why not just have the scribe write the letter and send it and be done with it? Think of all those advantages to letter writing. 
right? Don't, don't spend all that money and the time. There are other ways you could use your resources. This starts to sound a bit like what goes through my head when I'm deciding whether to get up out of the house and actually go somewhere and be in a place in person. I am an introvert, so this actually is like very close. <laughs> I hate to admit it, like a real consideration that, I w that happens more often than I would like to admit. Right, the pandemic has shown us how much we can do virtually, church, work, school, telehealth, holidays with friends and family through the iPad. And, and this was an amazing provision in so many ways to facilitate connection. And many of us have incorporated all of those things into our lives as a result. And we can do more from home and we don't have to commute. And there are real, really good things about that. But Paul also says it's worth it. It's worth it to make that investment. He, he thought it was worth it to spend weeks and months of traveling and physical hardships and expense and risk just to be in the presence of others. And I like to think that as he was on his way, if he wrote a letter saying, I'm coming to you, there wasn't total certainty about when he would arrive, right? There was no tracking his location like we can do now, where I know exactly where you are. You've just turned down my street. They would have lived in anticipation for, I don't know, days, weeks, months of his coming. And I can only imagine what that built in them, right? That sense of anticipation. As a child, you know that sense of anticipation that something good is coming. I know it from watching my kids anticipate the coming of a friend for a play date or a grandparent for a visit. It is something so good. It builds something in us that matters. And it's no wonder, right, that physical nearness, that proximity would also mark a people of God. Um, because just like this generous, just like with generous and sacrificial giving, we take after a God in this way. God is a God of the up close and personal. God is a God of incarnation, of getting messy with us, of going to great lengths to be understood by us, of not sufficing to stay far away and hope for the best, but of entering our living rooms, our worlds, our lives of being with us. Paul, in other places in his letters, will allude, and even here, he alludes to that time of refreshment. Um, he alludes to the benefits of this physical nearness, of building up, of encouragement that comes. And did you know that we are also just wired biologically, that things happen to us? I can't get away from nursing school. That things happen to us in our bodies when we're close to people. Um, whether it's like the, the smell of another person that's right next to memory in our brains, or whether it's the touch of another human, a hug that releases those bonding hormones, or even, and I thought this was so fascinating, that researchers are now looking at how singing together creates bonds between people. <laughs> All of these things would knit us together in significant ways. Later in this chapter, we'll hear Paul exhorting the Corinthians to honor certain individuals for their service and labor in the church. Honoring one another is another hallmark of the church, and it may be significant to think about the ways that like our physical presence, these visits were means of honoring as well. So in our culture, we might consider it an honor to be invited right, to the party, you receive the invitation, and you're like, I am so honored to be invited. And that is beautiful, and we want to be people of invitation who honor folks that way. 
But in many other cultures, it's not actually the guest who's considered honored by the invitation, but it's the host who is honored by the guest's presence. My husband and I lived in Turkey and Iran for a number of years, and here we experienced this kind of what I think of as reverse hospitality. There, it's just plain old hospitality. Yes, we could invite our friends into our homes, and that was important, and that was kindness, but the best way we could show love to another was to go to their home, to show up in their space, to meet them on their turf, to journey to them. And I wonder if something like that is happening here with Paul and the Corinthians. He is eager to go to them. And that is a way of doing love. We might consider how the very act of showing up in a place, you all have shown up today in a place. You moved your bodies here. (laughs) And that's significant. That's not nothing. That matters. It matters when we make those choices. This can communicate love and honor. It can build something. Given all this and the example we see in Paul's life and in the lives of so many of these early church leaders, I want us to really consider, too, where we feel resistance (laughs) to being in person with others. And being in person, that has a whole weight to it now after, you know, considering the pandemic that it didn't carry before. Um, But where does the energy needed to be with another seem too great a cost, right? Sometimes it does. But what opportunities and invitations are in your life right now for physical presence with another person or with a community of people? Um, In the coming weeks at ECV, we will be talking a lot about home groups. So I would like to suggest to you that an invitation that will be open to you to participate in physical presence in going to and being with another uh, is through home groups here. Since the beginning, actually, ECV was birthed out of a home group. Since the beginning, we have valued being together in the presence of the Lord, that that is a place where, where, where the spirit works, where we love one another, where we do love, where we share even materially. All these things happen in home groups. Um, and I, so I encourage you, there's going to be some announcements coming in the coming weeks. Um, first week of September, those things start. But if it's not home groups, then where is it? Who is it right now? That physical presence matters. It matters that we put our bodies in a place with people. Paul's final words in this chapter, um, he spends the last few lines exhorting the Corinthians to bless and honor certain individuals, and he highlights again some physical material aspects. I'll just read this. Um, You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they've devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanas, Fortunatus, and Achaesus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, for anyone who's like, dude, Paul, what's up with that curse that's just tucked in there? Um, Lots of folks think this was Paul's rebuke to false teachers. 
And so he was like, get them as far away from you as possible. That was how passionate he was about this church, a plea to God that they'd be kept far from the community of believers. Once again, it's clear that this new community was not held together merely on the basis of a shared assent to certain principles. There was something material and physical. Homes were involved. Bodies were involved, right? Writing hands were involved. Kisses were involved. When the Spirit builds a community, we can expect that will mean something holistic, engaging all parts of us, even our physical bodies, our physical goods, and our physical presence with one another. And again, it's worth asking ourselves where we see life uh, in the body come alive for us. Is that coming alive to us only intellectually or emotionally? Or is it coming alive to us in physical ways as well, material ways? Now, there are a couple verses in there that I skipped that I want to come back to in this passage as we close. Verses 13 and 14. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. I think the call to life in the body, can you agree with me, can be a scary one. You remember all those things we talked about this summer? That's a lot. This is no small thing. It is an ask, it is a call that requires vulnerability and trust, time and energy, one in which we are asked quite literally to get skin in the game. We will need to be aware of where we are tempted to retreat into isolation and hoarding, <laughs> sloth, and hiding from one another. Where past hurts, and those hurts are real, keep us fearful and alone. I know I've done that. We need courage. I think that's why Paul puts that right in the midst of this. It's like he's writing this list of things, and then he's like, wait, you guys, be strong, be courageous. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Stand firm in the faith. Do this in love. Let your love be so great. We need courage, not just for life in this world, but for life together with one another. If anyone tells you differently, they are wrong. <laughs> Church is a courageous act. Coming here today is a courageous act. Hey, we need courage. We need strength. We need love to be able to do this thing, this life in the body together. When I look out at all of you and when I think of the stories that I know and I see you now with my eyes because we are physically in one another's presence, I gather some of that strength and courage. I see you pressing in, giving generously and sacrificially and freely with time that feels scarce sometimes, with resources, with material goods, money. I see you showing up in hard places relationally. I see you speaking words that take so much courage, so much truth, so much grace. I see you making the move off the couch and into someone else's living room or their backyard. Thank you. I see you seeking to honor others, and I just want to say, let's keep going, ECV. We're not there yet. 
as I look out at you all, I'm sure there are stories you could tell me of how this isn't happening <laughs> well, or there are hurts and failures, and there's isolation, missed opportunities, and more. But we are growing into our body, just as we grow into our physical bodies, in fits and starts, in seasons of strength and weakness, and growing pains and all. So I want to invite the worship team up, and Todd will be sharing some ways that we can respond in prayer. But I just want to read those two verses again over us as a blessing. May it be, Lord. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. May it be, Lord. Amen.